Without further ado, BZ, Gabe, welcome. Could you maybe first start by talking about what is Galaxy Digital? There might be people here who aren't familiar with it. Uh, it's obviously a, a very large kind of institution that's, that's become pretty big over the past few years. And then maybe introduce just like your roles at, at the company. Absolutely. I'm happy to go first. So if you don't know, Galaxy Digital is a financial services company in the crypto space focusing specifically on digital assets. So you could think of almost like your traditional kind of almost like investment bank where we have all of the sort of traditional arms as a, a financial services company. So asset management, trading, investment banking, and we also have a, a mining business as well, or digital asset infrastructure, which includes Bitcoin mining as well as proof of stake. So really, we cover all facets of the digital asset space. And then Gabe, he can speak for himself, but he's on the, the research team, the research team at Galaxy. Hey guys, I'm Gabe, just a quick intro. Uh, I do research at Galaxy under Alex Thorne. Some of you might know him, very famous Bitcoin maxi. But uh, yeah, so on the research team, Broadly, we cover every aspect of the space, L1s, L2s, regulation, and sometimes we cover more niche things such as ordinals, right? The, the main goal is to be the first to cover developing topics. And for myself, I've been here for over a year and a half now, and my time here, I've been covering, for the most part, Bitcoin-related topics, whether it's BIPs, mining, ordinals, and with the ETF craze coming now. We actually put out a report today on an estimate of like how much flow could go into these uh, spot ETF products on the day of approval. Those are the type of, types of things we cover. We help out every business line. We do put out internal and external research. We, we help out the traders, the salespeople, investment banking arm, the asset management branch. So we're all over the place, but we try to cover every aspect of the industry because clients, they're asking for everything, especially right now, people who are sidelined, who are coming back in, need a quick update. So yeah, that's what we do on the research team. I dig it. How long does it take you guys to create a document like this? Because I know it's like, it's pretty long. So I would assume a decent amount of time, but also it's very, like every single piece of it is like something... There's something very insightful and you can tell just one section is just packed with just interesting information that it's you're covering like 10 solid beefy topics in a single paper. Is this a, a month, two months, three months of work? Like how long does it take you guys to do this kind of thing? Our first report probably took about like a month and a half. The issue with an, a, such a new topic is you're writing for a month, but every week there's something new. So you're constantly updating and sometimes there's like groundbreaking stuff and you got to update maybe some of the takes here and there. But I guess the, the hardest part is just making this type of technical stuff digestible. I think that's like our most important focus when writing these types of pieces, especially the first report we had was because it was the first report about ordinals, we had to really break down everything from top to bottom, especially because a lot of our readers are institutional-based and they're not really familiar with the DGen crypto Twitter topics. These are just TradFi people tapping into crypto. And obviously there's a lot of crypto-native funds that read our stuff as well, but the, it, it's, it just takes a long time making things digestible. Because to us, when we write it, it makes sense. But to someone who's never heard about ordinals, never even read a thread on it, you got to really break it down to them. The first report took almost two months. The, the one we just put out recently is shorter. That was more like a month or so. That's typically the timeline. 
I dig it. I dig it. I've done some threads in the past and it's amazing how long it takes to just put together the information in a concise manner of, of just a single thread. So I, I really do respect these like long form papers like this. I think they're really important, especially for, like you said, branching out of just the, the kind of crypto Twitter degens to more traditional financial players. So what would you each say is your like biggest takeaway of what's changed since the first paper? Like what's changed since March, right? That March paper is a nice snapshot of how things were back then. People very quickly forget that was only like seven months ago. And the space looks very different then. So what are the big takeaways for you guys as like, how has this ecosystem evolved in the, in the six months from that last paper? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to start. I, I would say the biggest thing is really just the explosive growth and rate of adoption. I think the ordinals and inscription space has really just been speed running a lot of what we've seen for like NFTs and Web3 infrastructure for Ethereum and Solana. And when we initially wrote that first paper and we were just thinking about like how many inscriptions might we see just over the course of the first year, I was thinking like 300,000 total inscriptions would be amazing. And of course, like when we wrote that paper, BRC20s wasn't a thing. So we had no idea that there would be meta protocols and token standards and all kinds of other things like bitmap and what have you when we first wrote that paper. So there are a lot of things that we saw between then and this most recent paper that caught us by surprise, but also just like how quickly the infrastructure got set up, right? Between services like Ordinals Bot that could do inscriptions as a service, Xverse, all the wallets, how quickly the UI improved as well. When we first wrote that paper, I, I think we were still using like Sparrow Wallet to store inscriptions. And I want to say we hadn't even had the first marketplace yet, right? Like it was still spreadsheets when we were writing that first paper. So to go from that and see everything that exists today between Ord.io, Magic Eden, Xverse, Leather, Unisat, all of these things is just incredibly remarkable. All within nine months of time is just absolutely insane, as well as the total amount of volume. Like Ordinals and Inscriptions has exceeded, I think, every expectation that I've at least had for it on every front, even in terms of impact on like transaction fees and block space demand for Bitcoin miners, it's honestly, I think, probably the most successful protocol of the year, I would say. Yeah, I want to highlight the the growth in infrastructure. I think that was like the most obvious thing that we picked up when we were writing in March, taking data and events from January, February. In March, we saw Yuga Labs enter the space, and I think that kind of took everyone by surprise considering that they're the largest nft studio in the world they represent 35 percent uh, like their collections represent 35 percent of the entire value of nfts right for them to come in march right and then april we had magic eating come in those are two really big players that relatively they came in early right they saw the vision and instead of just sitting back and waiting around they just took the leap of faith and i think that solidified this our ecosystem in the eyes of like just the nft people in general like magic eden as we know like they've dominated the space outside of bitcoin right when they launched they were the fifth largest marketplace out of all nft marketplaces right they had they had 1.3 million users i believe at that time but just seeing players like that enter really just shifted the mentality i think and honestly i think it's it's giving developers more motivation to build 
Agreed. These are some very validating the ecosystem type points. I, I was very surprised, to be honest, to see how quickly these very large names were coming in and, and like placing a pretty serious bet on us. And it was uh, just very validating to a lot of the, the way we were thinking back in like February, right? Trevor. Yeah, I'm curious. First of all, like great job on these reports, guys. It's really great having you guys in the ecosystem and a bold move for the research that you did so early on the Ordinals ecosystem. And I remember you were like, we think this is a $5 billion market. And people were like, jaws dropped, eyes open. And then like, it turns out it's like maybe like potentially an underestimate of like how big this is going to be. So I'm just curious from the institutional side, like, are you guys speaking with institutions who are looking at Ordinals ecosystem and Bitcoin as a Web3 ecosystem? I'm just curious, like, what type of institutions that are coming to you, are, you know, consuming the report, are asking questions, and like, where you see that institutional adoption uh, timeline maybe playing out with Ordinals versus Ethereum or other blockchains? Yeah, I think something that caught me by surprise was institutions that were coming to us after each report. I think they more or less were looking at it as, I want to know more, not like, how can we invest in the space, whether it's like through buying actual ordinals or like investing in infrastructure? I think for them, it was a juicy enough topic to just keep asking questions about like where we think it's going to go. And I think the institutions that did come to us and ask questions, it, it did catch me by surprise. These are people that probably have never touched NFTs in general. Maybe they trade Bitcoin or whatever, but I think they definitely were asking good questions about just the Ordinals ecosystem in general and how quick they were at, like, came to us to ask questions um, caught me by surprise. I figured more like NFT type focus companies were going to come forward and stuff. But I think overall, like Bitcoin is the largest asset in our industry. So anything significant in this space, like people are going to ask, institutions are going to ask questions. I can add in there too, at least, I, I don't know if I said this, but I work in mining on the mining team here at Galaxy. And I can at least say from that perspective, we got quite a few questions, mainly just trying to understand like how much ordinals and inscriptions could ultimately move the needle for Bitcoin miners at the end of the day for from like a revenue standpoint. And I think most notably is on some of the Q2 earnings calls for some of the publicly traded miners. You, we heard um, a bunch of equity research analysts ask you know, questions directly to a lot of these um, publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies about how ordinals and inscriptions might impact their revenue. And even thinking of whether or not they should be modeling or at least taking into account some of the, the impact from the space on how they forecast revenue for these publicly traded Bitcoin mining companies, which really took me by surprise, the fact that they're already thinking or looking at how this space, the growth of this ecosystem can impact Bitcoin miners in their bottom line. So I think it's very much on the radar of institutions or investors. Maybe they're not necessarily looking to invest quite yet directly in like collections. Maybe they aren't, but people are at least trying to understand, you know, the order of magnitude that this space can ultimately have on Bitcoin as a whole and several of the different verticals within the, the Bitcoin ecosystem. I dig it. Can we talk just a little bit more on that mining side of things? Like how BRC20 was crazy, right? The fees were like 600 sats. It was like completely crazy. What is the future for the relationship between the Ordinals ecosystem and mining from like your perspective, just based on just like your experience with mining and Ordinals? There's not that many people that sit right in that intersection as well as you do, BZ. 
Totally. Yeah, I would say that I think miners like ordinals and inscriptions, like for sure. Like they love anything that's going to generate more fee revenue for them. So while some miners might not be as interested in like buying inscriptions directly, some are, some might not be. They totally love and appreciate the extent that uh, activity from this space can cause more demand for block space or any kind of fee spike. So it's funny when we were going through that BRC20 craze and specifically the BMPX mint that kind of drove fee rates to insane levels. You saw miners just, it was funny because miners were like celebrating, right? There was very happy, I don't know, joyous moment to see fees spike at that level. So I think that miners and whether they care or not are always going to be somewhat supportive of something that is going to drive block space demand, which I think is great. And then if you look at what mining pools more specifically are doing, I think they're very interested in this space. I think you've already seen miners or mining pools specifically look at opportunities to provide inscription as a service, right? Like Luxor has been at the forefront of this with respect to out-of-band transactions, doing custom transaction ordering to help artists make sure that their inscriptions get included in a block or in a pretty special way. Like they did the D-Gods Mint, if you don't know. But also with rare sats as well, since they're the main ones that are mining blocks and are able to control that market, I think you'll see even more mining pools look to get involved in that market. And we've already seen a number of pools start to take measures to separate out any, like the first set of any blocks that they mine. I think at the end of the day, just to conclude here, I think there's a a great sort of relationship between the mining space and ordinals and inscriptions at the end of the day. Rare and exotic sets took a more prominent spot on this recent paper it sounds definitely miners enjoy getting this Rodimore kind of airdrop <laughs> in every block. Nobody's going to complain about an extra like $100 sat in a block, right? That's pretty epic. No pun intended. But yeah, like we're just trying to get this overview of what's happened here. I feel like we're all on Twitter scrolling through our feed, just complete tunnel vision. You can't even remember what happened last week. What has happened with rare sats, exotic sats? What are the trends? that people have been paying attention to maybe more, this more kind of institutional side, like what would they care about? What might they pay attention to? I know it's still a little early to be on their radar, but that's essentially a new asset class that's emerged here uh, since the March paper. You you covered this a decent length in the paper. What was y'all's main takeaways on this new asset class? Yeah, so I think with rare sets, I think it's a very interesting and emerging new... The meta has been around, but just in terms of the infrastructure aspect that we've seen with rare sets, with seeing like rare set in marketplaces now, I think is a big deal. I think for institutions, it's really just been about like, what does the liquidity look like around rare sets? What's the depth of market? Is this going to be something that has longevity? I think a lot of people are very interested in rare sets. They're just taking this wait and see approach to see how the market continues to evolve and develop over time. But I do think the rare sets narrative is is very promising, whether it's just for collecting or or trading, like if you want to speculate on them. I think that you might see some players maybe look at owning a basket of rare sets potentially. I think where it ultimately comes down to, I think this would more so pertain to like family offices, smaller funds, at least for now. But if you think about how you build a portfolio around Bitcoin assets and, and assets that have beta to Bitcoin, 
I think that inscriptions and rare sats are an emerging new asset class that is directly investable. If you're if you're looking to stay in the Bitcoin ecosystem and really get something that is directly correlated with or might trade at a beta to Bitcoin. Previously, you just had like mining stocks as a way to maybe get like a, a levered Bitcoin trade. But now that you have inscriptions, you have rare sats and all of these new, like even tokens on Bitcoin, I think it provides a nice opportunity to rethink like portfolio allocation specifically to Bitcoin or Bitcoin native assets. So that's really interesting and exciting. I think funds are probably starting to look or maybe even think about that in small cases. And I think the interest in that will only grow over time as these markets continue to mature. But then certainly, of course, like rare sats as a canvas is also super interesting for the purpose of creating art and even things like markdowns, right? This idea of like digital storytelling natively on Bitcoin and using like rare sats as this cool canvas for doing that is also very interesting as well. Awesome. Really appreciate the insights there. I'm just going to keep hitting you guys and stuff because I love just hearing your takes on things. I want to do low inscriptions next and then I'm going to hand it to Trevor. Like back in March, the narrative was like, yeah, like low inscriptions. There's this group of people that likes them, but it's probably not going to like hold up very well long term. They've been like pretty much just this consistent, solid narrative that's been around like nine, 10 months now. What's your just high level take on that little niche of the assets? Yeah, I'll give my perspective first and then Gabe, I'll let you chime in if you want. I think with low inscriptions, I think that people really like the numbers. We just went through the whole inscription number debacle. People like the numbers. I think that it's just an easy heuristic for people to cling to, to demonstrate like they were early, right? It's like the easiest way to show or signal to this community that you were either an early inscriber or maybe you were here to the space early collecting. And I think people cling to that and find value in that. And I think it's also true in collectibles in general, right? Like even outside of just inscriptions, people like, like with baseball cards, right? Like the vintage or like rookie cards, if you collect that for like athletes and stuff like that. I think just whatever was historically first or early always has some level of desirability to it. And so I think that people have really clung to that. I think that at the end of the day, though, just having a low inscription number certainly isn't everything. At the end of the day, like the art itself, like the artistic prowess of the work that you're buying matters so much more. And I think for most inscriptions, the low inscription number, like in terms of how much value is being ascribed to the low inscription number, we're talking about a very small number of inscriptions where people really care about that. Like beyond that small subset, it really comes down to the story behind the work, the artists themselves, the quality of the work, all of that. And I think that at the end of the day, that's going to be the bigger driver for growth. It's just quality art on Bitcoin, doing cool things with recursion and all of the new tools that we now have at our disposal. People will always love the early inscriptions just for the, the history, but pushing the boundaries of what's possible in Bitcoin is what I think more people should be looking forward to. Yeah, I, I agree with BZ. Overall, it, it's a great signaling feature. It gives like a historical sense to the low inscription numbers. But more than ever, anything, over the long term, what's really going to matter is just quality artists releasing collections, releasing high quality art, maybe moving away from the standard 10K PFP type framework that we've seen for years. I think those things are going to 
bring more value over the long run than just like hoarding low inscription numbers and charging a premium for them. But I do think they're, they're a great signaling feature and, and it's a part of this ordinal's history. I think regardless what happens with the low inscription numbers, 10, 20 years from now, we're still going to be talking about how that did exist. It's a part of the history no matter what. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Uh, yeah, Trevor. Yeah, guys, somebody like Udi up here, like he can just dunk on laser eyes with like his eyes closed. Like he's like the Jordan of dunking on laser eyes. But for the rest of the audience here, some, having something like your report is a really good place to point people to. So I'm just curious, like at a high level, like if I'm at Nashville or whatever next year and people are like, oh, ordinals are dead. What are the key highlights where I'm like, hey, ordinals aren't dead. Here's Galaxy Digital Report. Check out these stats. Here's what you should look at. I think one thing that should always be mentioned is looking at this in a historical sense. Digital art is not just a Bitcoin native thing. It's on Ethereum, Solana, Polygon, right? And one thing I worked on the paper was mapping out the first 200 days of minting activity on Solana, Polygon, and Ethereum versus the first 200 days of inscription activity for just image-based inscriptions on Bitcoin. And what we found was Bitcoin surpasses all three of those other chains. I can just shoot some numbers really quick. In the first 200 days on Bitcoin, there was about 1.13 million inscriptions. And second to that is Ethereum. In the first 200 days, they only had about 600,000 mints. And that date for Ethereum starts from August 2016. So I think just putting things in a historical sense gives the haters, if we can say, just a better idea of just how fast we're growing. And that, that gives me confidence. Those are two legacy chains that have had NFTs for much longer than Bitcoin has had. Bitcoin has had digital art historically for a long time. We go through that in our first report. But yeah, I think putting it in a historical context is key. Totally. And to add to that, looking at the, the number of daily uh, transactions that are related to ordinals and inscriptions, which at least during the, the period of the report, I'm not sure what it is for October, but was hovering around at least 50% of daily uh, Bitcoin transactions being related to inscriptions and ordinals. Market volume isn't necessarily fully indicative of the health of the space like people continue to inscribe while market volumes might be down a little bit right now that definitely doesn't mean it's dead if, if you look at what is happening in the broader i'd say nft landscape nfts like the fact that we're in a bear market and then you could maybe make the argument that nfts themselves are in a super bear market and the fact that ordinals and inscriptions managed to do roughly 600 million of, of total volume, given those market conditions, is incredibly impressive. While the UI, the infrastructure, all these things were being built simultaneously, like you can't turn away from that. That is absolutely impressive and pretty remarkable. And even after the initial craze around ordinals and inscriptions maybe has faded away, it still has maintained a pretty solid level of, of volume, both in terms of sales, both primary and secondary, but then also with respect to just the number of inscriptions that are still occurring. So that's absolutely remarkable. Definitely we'd highlight that. And then for the laser eye maxi arguments, which is um, El Salvadorians aren't going to be able to transact or send Bitcoin to their families. One of the more interesting things that I think we discovered doing this analysis and writing this report was that it's actually the financial transactions or non-ordinal or inscription-related transactions that 
drove much of this uh, the fee spike that we observed. It's not so much that the ordinal enjoyers are, are causing super high fees and preventing people from transacting. That's really not the case. It's actually the opposite. We also have not had any issues with respect to people talking about the fungibility of Bitcoin or it threatening the fungibility of Bitcoin. Like All of the claims that a lot of the maxis had, for lack of a better way to reference them, in those early days, I think have been fully debunked. And they really don't have any more strong arguments to rest on. I think that ordinals and inscriptions have provided a significant benefit, at least to Bitcoin more broadly, when I just think about bringing more developers to the space, creating a renewed sense of energy and excitement about building on Bitcoin, and certainly with respect to transaction fees, which are far outpacing what we saw in the previous year. So I'm sure all of the miners are are very happy about that. Love it. Both of you guys, yeah, really solid takes there. I think BitGod and then Eli, then Nomi, and then Prism. Yeah, thank you so much. This question is really for the Galaxy team. I know that you guys have a number of different arms, right? The the sort of like research arm, the maybe mining, venture, liquid, all, all a bunch of different arms. I'm just very curious if you guys know or are able to disclose, do any of those arms own ordinals? Or have deployed like any capital into ordinals? We have not, as far as I know. For now, a lot of what we've done is mainly just focus on the research side of things, helping to understand the market opportunity. Awesome. Great question, Big God. If you reframed it, are there any super hardcore employees at Galaxy Digital who've deployed capital? You might get a little bit of a different answer. Like Trevor's question earlier of what do you tell a Bitcoin Maxi at a conference when they tell you ordinals are dead. I don't know, BZ, it's hard to find stats for this, but the space isn't that big where maybe you could do some like interesting research for a future paper. But I would say like in my head, the two things that are like the most bullish for ordinals, other than just the fact that we're like doing stuff on Bitcoin for after a very long period of not doing fun stuff on Bitcoin or doing fun stuff on Bitcoin again. But other than that, the fact that we have a bunch of just really solid engineers working full-time building tools and protocols, et cetera, around the Ordinals ecosystem. I would like to know, is there like a metric we could get of just how many people there are? I can just think of the top 10 largest companies, you've probably got 50, 100 engineers there. And then there's a bunch of other startups. So I'd like to know like how many engineers are building in this ecosystem. I think that's, it feels to me that there's a significant amount of them. And similarly, just our community, do the litmus test of go to Twitter and like try to find the like, I don't want to fight. I don't want to fight any communities, but pick some random thing like people were excited about at some point in time in the last couple of years. And like go to Twitter and try to find the community of people that's still talking about that. Is there a community there? In many cases, it literally it just doesn't exist. Like it's not there. And with ordinals, yeah, like our volume's down a lot. And in spite of that, we have this really badass cohort of you could call it a section of NFT Twitter, a section of crypto Twitter. We've carved out a legit community here and a lot of people have stuck around and that I think that really speaks volumes. I can look at the people in this space right now and know there's people I look at and I'm like, this person will definitely be here five years from now. There's nowhere else they would be going. They're going to keep building on Bitcoin and bringing Web3 to Bitcoin. So yeah, I don't know how you get metrics on this, but in a future report, this would be my request prism. What's up, guys? Go back to the conversation about early inscriptions and rare sats. I'm curious what your take is on collectors coming in 
And just to make things equal, early inscriptions versus the earliest inscriptions on rare sets, what is more appealing to collectors coming in? That's a great question. I think early inscriptions probably are, or at least for the time being, will be a little bit more preferred. And I think the evidence there is just seeing, I think it's the UBC fund, they they opted to buy some early inscriptions first. But I still think that on rare sats is a very interesting meta that a lot of people haven't really circled back to yet. So a collection that comes to mind is really like what Nullish did with Uncommon Patterns. I think that's a super dope collection. I think it was the first collection to actually inscribe on Uncommon Sats. And I think that, you know, the process that Nullish went through in order to one, procure those Uncommon Sats, and to do that is still underappreciated. I think that there's a lot of interesting backstories between, or, or at least behind the collections that were very early in inscribing on rare sets. And I think that in time, people will come to appreciate that. I fully expect the market to probably circle back on some of those things. Awesome, guys. Thank you. This is a question for Beasy and Gabe. We saw yesterday that that Eclipse groups, obviously a few people involved in that, bought the whole of uh, the Rip Cage collection for 5 BTC, which was amazing to see something like that happen. And obviously, we've seen a few Bitcoin rocks bought by undisclosed market participants. Do you think this is the start of perhaps, whether they're undisclosed or not, more like bigger sales or more investment or investors coming into the space? Yeah, I think the question comes down to, do you think we're at the floor or is the floor past us? Have we bottomed out already? From the perspective of just ordinals in general, something I've seen with ETH NFTs so far is a lot of the the blue chip collections that were doing terrible for most of the year, they're they're being bought back up. And it, it seems to me like the blue chips on ETH have already passed their bottom, not by much, but I think that's the way to look at it for some of these big ordinal investors. Do they see that we're at the bottom and we're past the bottom? Is there room to go lower? That's a question for them to decide. One question I would be thinking about if I'm just holding a lot of Bitcoin is considering all the hype around you know, the ETF approval and potential flow going into Bitcoin in the next six to eight months, would you rather be holding Bitcoin or Grail ordinals, right? Uh, that's a question that's really tough to answer. It, it depends on who you're who you're asking. So, but for ETH, like I don't think ETH has many narratives in the next six months. So, to deploy that to Grails makes more sense, right? The, uh, the upside for ETH is not as much as the upside for Bitcoin in the next six months. I totally agree with all those points, Gabe. And I think just to add, I, I think that like the inscription market w- will mirror the traditional art market at the high end very closely. I think that you'll see more high net worth or like institutions that are actually buying inscriptions. They're going to do it like OTC, right? So you're going to have more like inscription brokers, I feel, at the high end of the market where the people that do want to buy those like more high value inscriptions. There's going to be a lot of behind closed doors discussion about trying to make those deals happen. And I think that people are going to want to do it more discreetly. And I think people definitely, I think those institutions that might be active in the space right now are absolutely trying to do it discreetly because if they do it publicly, it sends a massive signal to the market. And I think for the people that want to accumulate, they want to do so without moving the market, which makes sense. 
But also when you think about the overall supply of many of these, at least early inscriptions or even some of the more popular collections today, the overall supply is really low relative to even collections on Ethereum like CryptoPunks or Bored Ape, where you have 10,000 of those, right? Versus Bitcoin Rocks, there's only 100 or No Punks, there's only 100. OMB, if you want a red or blue eyes, there's 100 of each of those. It's going to be much, much more challenging to ultimately acquire those assets. And a lot of these communities are very tight knit because it's easy to actually know every owner of one of these assets. So that makes it even more challenging if you're trying to find your way in, which is actually really good when you think about it for the price potential, like in the long run. But in terms of what people might be doing now, like people realize this and they need to do it discreetly and you need to know the right people. Awesome. I want to definitely touch on fungible tokens a little bit. This seems to be one of the areas that could potentially have a very large growth. It's a very large opportunity in the space. There's now many competing protocols who want to be the fungible token standard on Bitcoin. What's the current just dynamics there from your angle? BRC20 obviously had a very large couple months in May and June, and then things have settled down a little bit and there's runes and there's so many protocols that I can't keep track. What's your take on fungible tokens? Yeah, I can start and then Gabe definitely chime in here. I think it's a pretty exciting time just because you have so many different competing protocols. It's hard to say what might ultimately win, right? Like you have Taproot Asset Protocol that I think just went live on mainnet. You have RGB, you have BRC20s, which obviously has some level of, of, of traction. And then we have runes, which Casey has been working on. I think what was really telling, at, at least for me, when I look at it is a simple protocol seems to be what I, I think people would prefer, right? BRC20 is it's definitely not the best protocol in terms of technical design, but it was fairly simple. And I think as a result, you saw it get adopted fairly quickly. I think there are some pretty big UI challenges with BRC20s. If you've ever tried to sell them, it's hard to sell. The UI is clunky. Doing the whole transfer and mint thing is not great. But I do think that a simple token protocol that just lets people buy, sell, trade with decent UI UX could get pretty strong market adoption. When I think about doing something that's overly complex and robust, like when I think about the demographic of people that really want to trade these things, they don't care really in my mind about like it being the most technically sound thing. They just want to do very simple, very basic things. And I think that you should probably optimize for that, right? Think about who your end customer is as you're either designing this protocol or if you're building a wallet, what have you. But I can say that at least as a miner, maybe selfishly, would love to see the token casino in a certain sense blow up on Bitcoin because it's only good for fees. So selfishly as a miner, would love to see that regardless of whatever wins. Let the token games begin on Bitcoin. I agree with BZ. The question of what token standard is going to be the one we'll see. But I think what BRCs clearly showed us is that there's a demand for fungible tokens on Bitcoin. And I think this conversation extends even before BRCs, but just the explosive growth of BRCs in the first couple months, it really shows that there's clearly a demand for it, whether 
a lot of people make the claim that oh they're 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 just shit coins and we don't want to be trading shit coins at bitcoin whatever but the fact of the matter is that there is a sizable demand for it with that being said on the fungible token conversation something that i'm really trying to look for and, and follow is the development of stable coins on bitcoin and i think inevitably the development with the token standards that we're all looking at right now will lead to a more clear idea of like where will stables live on bitcoin cuz i think at the end of the day that's the biggest value unlock i'm in the camp tether it's great it works but you can't tell me that tether that's the answer right that's going to be it for the next 100 years i really think that all of this development will lead to those conversations about stables on bitcoin i think it'll be a great time once those conversations get more solidified just last week paolo at tether he he was saying he sees rgb as the best opportunity for the issue stables on bitcoin i haven't looked too much into that but it's clear that that's a whole another conversation about the fungible tokens on bitcoin as well extending beyond just meme coins and and all that great guys trevor this report you guys dropped was the beginning of this month, so it's very recent, so very worth everybody here listening, checking out. I'm curious, like, when will the next report be? Are you guys trying to do these twice a year? The next one kind of maybe at the anniversary of the first report? Or how are you guys thinking about it going forward? I think we, we want to put something out maybe like the first year of Ordinals, right? I think that's something that we're thinking about. We definitely want to keep pumping out the content and be a, a major voice in this ecosystem a voice that people can trust and, and can turn to. We've gotten a tremendous amount of great feedback from the first report, and we just want to keep that going. I think Galaxy has, has built a good reputation in this ecosystem. Despite us as a company doing hundreds of other things, I think it's it's interesting to see that Ordinals has become, like we've become a voice in this ecosystem, and it's great. And, and BZ and I are going to make sure we maintain that. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much again. Really appreciate y'all coming up here. We're definitely having you back for the one year anniversary, maybe like January, February. Uh, I think that'll be pretty fun. Ordinal show. I think we started like maybe February 15th. Maybe you could have y'all for the like one year anniversary and just get a big recap of all that's happened.